1: Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening.
2: ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm John Weeks and this is The Leader. Any semi-final, it's not difficult to get yourself up for it. I think obviously, you know, as I said, we want to make the nation proud back at home. And yeah, there's an opportunity there to make a World Cup final. So yeah, we're going to give it everything.
0: Australia grew in the tournament too. They had some uh, some disappointing t- situations too where they had to come back from and they did really well. So we expect a very strong Australia tomorrow.
2: 11am Wednesday the 16th of August. Kick-off for England's Women's World Cup semi-final against Australia. But where will you be? Well, tomorrow's already being dubbed work from home Wednesday. So that gives us a clue and businesses are being asked to be flexible with staff. Global workplace consultants AWA say bosses should embrace the spirit of supports of the Lionesses and let staff either stay at home or come in late so they can watch the game. And who could blame them? It's the biggest game for the Lionesses since the Euro 2022 final, and the last semi-final they were in at that same tournament saw a backheel nutmeg goal from Alessia Russo to secure their place in the final. So, will companies capitulate to the footy mania? And is England's football-first culture here to stay? Joining me now is our arts correspondent, Robert Dex. So, Rob, it feels like we've always had time off in some way for football in this country. I remember watching the World Cup in school in 1998 and 2002, the glory days as some people remember them. Um Based on all that, work from home Wednesday comes as no surprise, does it?
1: No, not, not really. I mean, I, I suppose maybe it, it's just another one of those symbols that show that women's football, how, how far it's come, that the fact that people now consider taking the time off work to watch it in the pub or kids will be watching it in school or now post-lockdown, post-COVID, people are able to suddenly decide to work from home on a Wednesday that just happens to coincide with kickoff. Yeah, it, it's just another sign, I think, of how certainly women's football, but actually more particularly the Lionesses after winning the Euros, are right up there in sort of the country's sporting culture.
2: And we know businesses are being advised to actually be flexible with staff tomorrow. Who's telling them that? Who's giving that advice? And do you think businesses will?
1: Well, I I think they will because, again, I think post-COVID, post-lockdown, a lot of people have have just had to be flexible and and flexibility is the new norm, isn't it? I mean, let's not forget there are millions of people who cannot just sit and watch the football because the job they do means they can't do it. You know, not everyone is working in a nice office where they'll have a TV on in the corner. But yeah, I think a lot of businesses are far more used to being flexible. It is also, it's the middle of the summer holidays. So I imagine a lot of businesses are already dealing with staff that need a bit of flexibility because the kids are off school and um, you have all that as well. I just think it's the way... It's the way a lot of businesses are going, thankfully. So, yeah, it, it's almost a new norm. Um, in terms of who's saying it, and um, strangely, I mean, one of the comments we got was from the head of ACAS suggesting that flexibility would, you know, on both sides, the employees and the employers. But, I mean, I'm old enough to remember that when the head of ACAS used to be on the news, it was generally because the miners were on strike or something like that. And I think that's just, a, just shows how the workplace has changed in that now one of the things that ACAS, which is the conciliation service between employees and employers... One of the things they deal with is is things like this, which is flexibility on both sides. If you like a knowledge that work is a bit less nine to five than it used to be, a bit less, you have to be in a certain place for a certain time than than you used to be. And that is something we're all getting used to post-COVID, post-lockdown, I guess.
2: And is there something to be said for the sort of office morale boost that having the game on in the office could actually offer?
1: I think so. I mean, again, you know, let's not forget not everyone likes football and being made to sit and watch a football match will be torture for some people so they won't want to do it. And, but yeah, I mean, I think if you, if you work at any big company or if you look at job adverts for any big company, they always talk about they have a culture, this is our culture, you know, and they're always very keen to say how inclusive it is and how much fun you'll have coming to work for us, and all those kind of things that are, that they say in job adverts. And part of that is is simple social stuff. So I think it's it's very much in firms' interest to be flexible like this. And if if they lose ninety minutes of productivity, or if extra time, it could be one hundred and twenty minutes of productivity on on a Wednesday, but everyone has a nice time, then they're perhaps more likely to come back into work another day, and they might start working four days in the in the workplace rather than three days. So I think. The benefits would be obvious. I mean, we we will no doubt, once all this is done, there will be studies and we will see how many hours people put in and how many people did, did what. But um, I can't see it being anything other than beneficial, to be honest.
2: And aside from whether or not people are allowed to watch it at work or if they do just watch from home, I understand based on the viewing figures so far, it is quite likely there will be a lot of people watching, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was talking about this with, with, with somebody who, who analyzes TV yesterday, and um, big tournaments like World Cups have a massive advantage over something like, I don't know, say the Grand National or um, a Formula One race, because they go on in stages and they get more exciting as they go on. So they basically have repeated attempts to hook in that audience. The other great benefit the World Cup has is that England have won the Euros and are pretty good. So Whereas I can remember with the men's team, you sort of tuned into the World Cup with a sigh thinking, you know, God, are we going to get out of the group or what dreadful disaster uh, awaits us? There is an expectation of success which pulls people in. So Wednesday's game, I think, kicks off at 11 in the morning, whereas you could imagine if it was 11 o'clock on Saturday morning, it would have a much bigger audience. But certainly Sunday's kickoff, which I think, again, is perhaps 11 o'clock, but it's Sunday at the weekend, I imagine the final... If the Lionesses get there, will be huge numbers. And even if they don't, will be pretty good numbers as well, I imagine. It was 17.4 million watched them win the Euros. If they get to the World Cup final, you'd have to expect at least that, if not more.
2: That's it. And the reason the games are so early and at 11 in the morning is because they're in Australia. Do you think that prospect of the age-old grudge match between England and Australia will actually tempt more people to watch, perhaps, especially when you consider the drama at the Ashes this year?
1: I think we've we've certainly seen that with um, audiences in Australia, where obviously the games are on prime time and free to view, so they're li- likely to get big audiences. But yeah, I mean, I think coming so soon after the Ashes, that sort of Australia England rivalry will only add a bit of spice to it. I mean, as always with these games, it's like, there's individual rivalries, isn't there? So, you know, the great Aussie hope, Sam Kerr, is a, is a striker at Chelsea. England's captain, Millie Bright, is a centre-half at Chelsea. They play with each other, train with each other on a regular basis. They know each other inside out. That is going to be one of the great head-to-head clashes in the game.
2: And with women's football becoming so popular... Is there a bit of a culture hack happening here where we can effectively double the number of days we can have time off for? I
1: think so. I'd be all for it. I mean, women's football is at a really, really interesting stage, isn't it? Because it's just gone to the next level with the Euros and is now looking to go to the, the next level. But the players that were involved in it are all generally old enough to remember when the attention paid to it was a lot less. The money in it was a lot less. And so they all play it with this great spirit because they can remember when it was, you know, not where it is now. And so it's got a really sort of magical appeal to it. They're they're all quite humble and down to earth, but at the same time, they're world class athletes. Women's football has just exploded. I mean, you see like Arsenal, who've gone from playing in a small non-league ground to playing like four or five games a season in the Emirates. People were talking about, you know, will Chelsea do the same and, and move games to Stamford Bridge? You know, people like Man City and Man United. It is the big teams that have got the big the big women's teams. So so men's Premier League is clearly getting behind it. I had an interesting conversation yesterday with somebody saying, um, is women's football now big enough to go behind a paywall? Obviously, like the Premier League, you know, is on, is on the sky. And the, the thinking was, yes, it is, in that somebody would pay a lot of money to put all the women's Premier League games behind a paywall confident they could then charge the audience to to watch it. But they said actually they don't think it will because the trade-off between getting that big check up front that the women's game would like isn't worth the eyeballs they get. Getting the audiences, the millions and millions of people watching it is at the moment where the game is I think perhaps more important than the money.
2: Let's take a break now. In part two, Paul Oates, a coach at the Grassroots Club where Millie Bright learned the game, tells us what needs to change to get more girls into the sport.
0: So it's all about investment and getting the girls that sort of equal opportunities in PE to be able to play. So I think it previously it's just been the sort of boys who had the option of PE.
2: Joining me now is Paul Odes, the under-14s manager at Killamarsh Dynamos in Sheffield, the club where England star Millie Bright learnt the game. So, Paul, I understand you've got a daughter of your own called Millie who plays at the club where Millie Bright learnt the game. Is Millie Odes the next Millie Bright?
0: (laughs) I'd like to think so, uh, and that's what she's striving for, yeah. Uh, So, Millie also plays, my Millie also plays in defence. I I believe Millie Bright actually started up front for the Dynamos team, uh, where she scored so many goals.
2: And what sort of conversations do you have with Millie about this England women's team, considering their success?
0: We're both really proud. So Millie gets bored of me talking about te- technicalities of football and just wants to get involved in it. But uh, just taking up like positions of the players and, and watching the players who play in her position and just sort of encouraging her on, uh, really.
2: You're very much part of the growth of women's football, being a coach. Do you think there is the growth needed in women's football to get more young girls into the sport like your daughter?
0: Yeah, I think it's getting steadily better and better. So I took the team on. This will be my third season. And initially, we really, really struggled to get players, but we've been inundated now. So it's it's definitely grown. And with the success of the Euros, lots more girls are wanting to get involved. Our team were invited. Uh, It was organised by Millie Bright to go and watch the team train at St George's Park prior to the Euros' success. And they really, really enjoyed that. It was great for them to sort to watch and see what they can aspire to.
2: So, do you think that's the trick for getting more girls into it? Is literally just exposing them to games, to training sessions like that, to show them, you know, how exciting it is and can be. Yeah, from to see
0: first hand, I think there uh, the lionesses are quite connected to grassroots football. I think with the the superstars involved with the the men's football team, it, it's nice for the girls to be able to go and do things like that. I think it's like a once in a lifetime thing for them to be able to do. But the the lionesses seem to be a little bit more connected to the fans and the men's team, I, I believe.
2: And as a dad, but also a coach, you see it firsthand. What are the benefits of Girls being in a team environment, like a football club, during their sort of formative years.
0: I think so. To when they when they hit the teenage years, a lot of them struggle for sort of self confidence, and I hope I think it helps with that getting out because uh, I think a lot of girls tend to just stay in the bedrooms, etc. But I think coming out and playing the football and getting involved and the the close knit team uh, atmosphere, it definitely helps them uh, and makes them more confident meeting new people, et cetera, getting out and exercising. It's good for the self-confidence, I think.
2: So if you were in charge, Paul, and you could pull the strings, what would you want to see happen to elevate the sport even further, get more girls into football and continue the success really of the Lionesses?
0: I think it's definitely getting better. I think it's all down to investment, really. I think, the spanish national team have invested quite heavily in the younger teams so they've been successful at under 18s the under 21s have both been very successful and that's transferred in, into the uh, the women's side as well so it's all about investment and getting the girls that sort of equal opportunities in pe to be able to play so i think it Previously it's just been the sort of boys who've had the option of PE, but I think there's been a massive campaign to get the equal opportunities for girls to be able to do that in school. So it's definitely getting better, but I think the investment could maybe be a little bit more.
2: And just finally, Paul, you got a score prediction for tomorrow?
0: It might go to extra time and possibly penalties. I think I think we might win but on, on penalties, I think.
2: Pick up the evening standard newspaper for more news, interviews, and analysis, or go to standard.co.uk. That's the leader. Thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow afternoon at four o'clock. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching.